Book Five, Chapter One, Part One of the History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Guero. The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two, by Henry Charles Lee, Book Five, Resources, Chapter One, Part One, Confiscation. When the Inquisition was established, it was expected to be not only a self-sustaining institution, but a source of profit. To what extent the anticipation of gain, by seizing the substance of their subjects, may have influenced Ferdinand and Isabella in adopting this method of vindicating the faith, it would be useless now to inquire, but they refused to permit any division of the spoils as in the older papal Inquisition of Italy. These were reserved to the crown, and, when the first inquisitors were sent to Seville in 1480, they were accompanied by a receiver of confiscations, a royal official whose appointment shows what were the expectations entertained. Yet the support of the Inquisition had to come out of the product of its labors. The basis of its finances was confiscation, and the use which it made of its powers in this respect, whether for its own benefit or for that of the sovereign exercise so large an influence on the prosperity of spain that it demands a somewhat careful examination spoliation on such a scale continued unremittingly for nearly three centuries was a tremendous burden on the productivity of the most industrious class of the population at the commencement a very large portion of the accessible wealth of spain was in the hands of the jews and conversos by the expulsion of the former and the prosecution of the latter they were stripped of it the marvelous persistence of the new Christians, their tireless activity and business aptitude, kept them incessantly at work making acquisitions which continued to render persecution profitable and contributed to maintain the institution which was laboring with equal persistence for their destruction. It would not be wholly true to assert that the exhaustion of confiscations caused the inertia of the later decades of the Inquisition, but it unquestionably was a contributing factor. The cruelty of confiscation was equal to its effectiveness. To strip a man, perhaps advanced in years, of the results of the labors of a lifetime, and to turn his wife and children penniless on the street, was a severity of infliction which rendered the sparing of his life a doubtful mercy, and it was not without reason that the legis deemed it equivalent to capital punishment. To the persecutor this was a recommendation, in addition to its financial advantages, and we can readily understand why it was enforced with such remorseless perseverance. Confiscation as a punishment for crime was too settled a principle of the imperial jurisprudence for any jurist to call in question its propriety. As heresy was held to be treason to God, more detestable than treason to an earthly prince, the church naturally adopted it as soon as in the twelfth century persecution became systematized in eleven sixty three alexander the third at the council of tours commanded all potentates to seize heretics and confiscate their possessions and lucius the third in his verona decree of eleven eighty four sought to divert this to the benefit of the church under the roman law of treason the property of a traitor was forfeited from the time when he first conceived his crime and this was applied to the heretic, whose earliest act of heresy was the date from which the fisc claimed his estate, a provision of much importance in the settlement of debts. In Aragon, the introduction of the Inquisition in the 13th century rendered confiscation for heresy a matter of course. In Castile, 
a more tolerant spirit as expressed in the laws of alfonso x forbade it so long as there were catholic heirs or kindred if there were none the king inherited subject to the right of the church if the culprit were a cleric to claim it within a year this code however was not confirmed until thirteen forty eight by which time scruple had diminished for alfonso the eleventh followed by henry the third confiscated to the royal treasury one half of the possessions of the convicted heretic it was reserved for ferdinand and isabella tacitly to accept the canon law in all its rigor while diverting to the royal treasury all the proceeds a contemporary asserts that they divided it into thirds one for the war with the moors one for the support of the inquisition and the third for pious uses but there is no trace of such allotment and we shall see that the crown made such use as it pleased of its acquisitions strictly speaking the inquisition did not confiscate but merely pronounced the culprit guilty of that which implied confiscation and it seems to have felt some hesitation as to assuming the responsibility in the earliest trials that have reached us there is no settled formula either in the demand of the fiscal for punishment or in the sentences confiscation being sometimes expressed and sometimes inferred and left for the alcalde to pronounce the instructions of fourteen eighty four are silent as to confiscation in the cases of the living but in treating of prosecution of the dead they order the heirs to be heard so that the property may be confiscated and applied to the fisc of the sovereigns and it is noteworthy that in sentences on the dead immediately after this the instructions are referred to as though to shield the inquisitor from responsibility there evidently was popular repugnance to this spoliation and no one wished to be responsible for it ferdinand in a proclamation of october twenty ninth fourteen eighty five declared that the confiscations were made by order of the pope in discharge of his conscience and by virtue of his obedience to holy mother church it was probably owing to his instructions that the tribunals finally assumed the responsibility as is seen in a sentence of july eighth fourteen ninety one in zaragoza on the deceased juan de la caballeria where the king is ordered in virtue of holy obedience to take the property and hold it as his own apparently all did not acquiesce promptly for we find him in fifteen ten ordering the inquisitor of majorca when pronouncing any one to be a heretic to add at the end of the sentence that he declares the property confiscated and applied to the royal fisc and orders the receiver to take it when the receiver is to do so in virtue of the sentence in accordance with this the official formula adopted bore that the tribunal found the culprit guilty of heresy and as such to have incurred excommunication and the confiscation and loss of all his property which it applied to the royal treasury and to the receiver in the name of the king from the time when he commenced to commit the crime of heresy or if the offender was an ecclesiastic it was applied to whom it lawfully belonged this rather evaded the question whether confiscation was self-acting but the fe de confiscacion given by the notary to the judge of confiscations formally asserts that the inquisitors in ordinary had confiscated the property to the king's treasury and by the sentence had applied it to his receiver in his name if any uncertainty remained it was removed by a carta acordada of sixteen twenty six which ordered that in all cases of formal heresy the sentence should include confiscation for if there was to be any mitigation the granting of such grace belonged to the inquisitor-general the anterior date to which the confiscation operated was determined under the instructions of fifteen sixty one by the consulta de fe when voting on the sentence 
the phrase in the case of ecclesiastics of adjudging the property to whom it legally belonged was a recognition of the claims of the church what these were seems to have been open to question under the partidas the church had the right if it put forward the demand within a year but ferdinand in a letter of march eleventh fourteen ninety eight says he is told that he has a right to a third in such cases whence this was derived we are not told but he established the rule and it remained in force as late as fifteen fifty nine when two-thirds of the estate of dr agustin casalla passed to the bishop of palencia who however transferred it back to the inquisition this was probably a compromise for the inquisition had asserted its right to the whole and bishop simancas in fifteen fifty two had said that many hold that the property of clerics goes to the bishop but the truer opinion which had always been followed in spain was that it belongs to the fisc for the use of the inquisition the question however was not definitely settled for in fifteen sixty eight the suprema called upon all the tribunals to report without delay what was their practice and what was their formula of sentence it was inevitable that any doubts should eventually be construed in favor of the holy office and in the seventeenth century the authorities assume as a matter of course that the confiscations of clerics inure to the tribunals although the sentence still attributed them to whom they lawfully pertained forfeited benefices of heretics however were a papal perquisite by decree of paul the fourth june eighteenth fifteen fifty six and this is cited about sixteen forty as still in force in spain for a while the confiscations were subject to another diversion the feudal lords who saw the property of their vassals swept into the royal maelstrom grew restless and although they do not seem to have put forth any legal claim ferdinand in many cases deemed it wise to pacify them with a grant of one-third of the confiscations made in their estates the earliest grant of the kind that i have happened to meet is to the infante enrique duke of segorbe april twentieth fourteen ninety one these grants were subject to a deduction for the expenses of the trials which led to a good deal of friction as none of the parties concerned were over scrupulous if the grantee quarrelled with the receiver over the question of expenses he had a fashion when the customary auction of the property was held of announcing that he desired to bid and that nobody should bid against him by this device the duke of bejar enforced a settlement in fifteen fourteen and again in fifteen seventeen the experience of the duke del infantado shows how skilful were the officials in neutralizing these grants in fifteen fifteen he obtained a grant of one half of confiscations up to that time and one-third for the future subject to expenses disputes arose as a matter of course and in fifteen nineteen he prevented auction sales till he should be paid and in fifteen twenty he compromised for two hundred ducats in settlement of claims up to that time and ten per cent for the future free of expenses it is safe to say that jimenez was exposed to no such trouble in his settlements but with his enormous revenues and his position as inquisitor-general it would have better comported with his dignity to have abstained from procuring in fifteen fifteen a grant of one-third of the confiscations made in his estates and in the casorla lands assigned for the expenses of his table with the gradual weeding out of the wealthier conversos and the increasing expenses of the tribunals the share of the feudal lords doubtless diminished until it was not worth contesting for shortly after this period we cease to hear of this division of the proceeds confiscation as we have seen was one of the invariable penalties of heresy under the canon law 
the heretic was outside of the church. If persistent, he was relaxed and burnt. If he repented and professed conversion, he was reconciled to the church. But though he thus escaped death, the forfeiture of his property remained. Reconciliation, as a rule, inferred confiscation. An exception to this was when a term of grace was published, usually of thirty or forty days, during which those who made full confession of their sins and gave full information about others were received to reconciliation, under promise of release from imprisonment and confiscation, but subject to public penance and giving as alms such portion of their property as the inquisitors should designate. This was an abandonment by the king of the property which had become forfeit through heresy, and was confirmed by a formal grant by him to them of what was lawfully his, empowering them to sell and convey a good title which otherwise they could not do. This did not apply to what the penitent suffered from the crimes of others, and thus children so reconciled could not claim estates forfeited by their parents. Outside of the term of grace there was no escape espontaneados those coming forward spontaneously after its expiration had already forfeited all their possessions and as it was explained it was not the intention of the sovereigns to remit the penalty to them save when in special cases they might exercise clemency this covetous policy which discouraged the repentant sinner was continued until in fifteen ninety seven the suprema ordered that espontaneados should be reconciled without confiscation yet in spite of this when in sixteen seventy seven alvaro nunez de velasco came forward voluntarily to denounce himself and was reconciled his sentence included confiscation occasional instances are met in which confiscation was spared on account of the extreme youth of the penitent but i have been unable to find any formal rule to that effect and it seems to have been discretional with the tribunal in fifteen o one at barcelona when florencia daughter of Manuel de Puigrinija, was condemned to perpetual prison. It is said that her property was spared in view of her tender age. In the reconciliation at Toledo, April twentieth, 1659, of Ana Pereira, aged ten, confiscation was included, and that of Beatriz Jorge, of the same age, December eighth, 1659, there is no allusion to confiscation, and in that of Diego de Castro, aged ten, December eighth, sixteen eighty one, it is stated that confiscation is omitted in view of his age. The enforcement of confiscation was a business matter, reduced to a thorough and pitiless system. The sufferers naturally sought to elude it, and every possible means that experience could suggest were adopted to prevent the loss of the minutest fragment. When the accused was arrested, all his visible possessions were simultaneously sequestrated and inventoried. His papers and books of account were examined to ascertain what debts were owing to him, and he was at once subjected to an audiencia de hacienda in which he was interrogated under oath in the most searching manner as to all his property, his debts and credits, his marriage settlement, dowries or gifts to his children, their estates if they were dead, whether he had secreted anything in apprehension of arrest and every detail that the circumstances suggested. Any failure to answer fully and truly was perjury, for which he could be punished, as occurred in the case of Luis de Perlas, tried in Valencia for Lutheranism in 1552. 
the most repulsive incident in this perquisition was the advantage taken of the terrors of approaching death when the confessors of those who were to be executed in an auto de fe were employed during the preceding night in exhorting them to reveal any portion of property that might have escaped previous investigations thus june twenty ninth fifteen twenty six fray castel reported that pedro pomar whom he had confessed during the night of the auto de fe estando en el suplicio de la muerte had revealed where certain account books could be found and also some debts due to him so december twenty first fifteen twenty nine anton ruiz under the same circumstances confessed to debts due to him which had eluded previous search this prostitution of religion to the service of greed was exploited to the utmost excommunication was so habitually abused for temporal purposes that it was naturally resorted to and all who concealed or held any property of a convicted heretic were subjected to it in fourteen eighty six ferdinand writes that certain notaries refused to give copies of contracts passed before them relative to obligations due to heretics to which they must be constrained by censures and the invocation if necessary of the secular arm and the same course must be taken with debtors refusing to pay what they owe october seventeenth fifteen hundred he scolds some inquisitors for their negligence those who know that they are suspected commonly hide their property or place it in the hands of third parties and in this way those who hold such property become excommunicated to the great damage of their souls for they continue under the censure and my fisc suffers for the property escapes confiscation in sixteen forty five a writer gives us the form adopted in such cases if the fiscal thought that there was property of a confiscated estate concealed or debts due to it unrevealed the tribunal issued an edict to be read from the pulpits ordering under pain of excommunication every one holding such property or cognizant of facts concerning it to make it known to the commissioner or to the parish priest within three days on the expiration of this term the priests were required to denounce from their pulpits all such persons as excommunicated and to be avoided by all christians then after three days more followed the anathema in its awful solemnities of bell book and candle with the impractory psalm and invoking the wrath of almighty god and the glorious virgin his mother and of the apostles peter and paul and all the saints of heaven and all the plagues of egypt on the wicked ones who were withholding its own from the holy office the spiritual punishment did not exclude temporal in sixteen seventy one manuel fernandez chavez tried in toledo for the occupation of confiscated effects was fined in five hundred ducats and was banished for two years from toledo pastrana and madrid when the concealment was for the benefit of a culprit there was the additional charge of foutership as in the case of gabriel de la sola and joseph lopez de sosa whose secreted property of the latter's sister beatriz and whose trial in sixteen ninety seven in valladolid lasted for two years more effective at least in the earlier period when the press of business rendered minute investigation difficult was the offer of heavy commissions to those who would furnish information as to confiscated property that had escaped the search of the receivers this resulted in creating a gang of professional detectives and informers of whom a certain pedro de madrid the later may be taken as the type under a provision of fourteen ninety he was entitled to one-third of all the hidden property that he might discover whether alienated or conveyed under other names or otherwise concealed in fourteen ninety four he complained that this was not enough in view of his heavy expenses travelling to france sharing with other informers etc 
whereupon Ferdinand agreed to give him one half, and moreover to those who should furnish information he pardoned the offence committed by their knowing without revealing. The inquisitors were to remove the excommunication, and all receivers were to comply with these instructions under penalty of a thousand florins. Ferdinand, however, did not always play fair with these gentry. Under the stimulus of his fifty per cent, Pedro worked hard and successfully, but when in 1499 the account of a receiver who had settled with him came in for audit, Ferdinand ordered the payments to be disallowed for the present. Pedro ought not to have such large sums. His success was attributable to the negligence of the receiver rather than to his own activity, and in fact it was a voluntary gift to him. A year later we find Ferdinand agreeing to let him have one half of thirty libras that he had discovered, and promising to determine what share he should have when other properties unearthed by him should be settled. The frequent allusions to these transactions in Ferdinand's correspondence show what an active business it was, both with professionals and volunteers, and Ferdinand was sometimes liberal in rewarding the zeal of the latter, as when, in 1501, he made a gift to Don Antonio Cortes, his sacristan mayor, of a house and an oil warehouse in Seville, which Cortes had discovered to be the property of Beatriz Fernández, condemned to perpetual imprisonment which had escaped the receiver. This indicates that men of standing did not disdain to engage in this disreputable business, and it would seem that Juan de Anchias, the secretary of the Saragossa Tribunal, to whom we owe the Libro Verde, gave up his office to speculate in it, for in 1509 we find him complaining that the receiver refused to pay him the one-third which he had been promised on certain discoveries, and Ferdinand ordering the bargain to be carried out. There was no settled rate of commissions. About the same time, Clement Roderes of Barcelona was only allowed one-seventh of the property recovered through his investigations, while the Majorca tribunal was authorized to offer twenty-five per cent., and when the case seemed desperate in 1514, Juan Martinez was encouraged by a promise of 50% to devote himself to looking up the concealments of Teruel and Albarracin, which were understood to be large. While doubtless the fisc, by thus stimulating detectives, recovered property which might otherwise have escaped, the system was one which invited collusion between them and the officials. Frauds of this kind were probably not uncommon, for in 1525 the Suprema complained of the abuses that had sprung up through the disregard by the receivers of their instructions. These were to be strictly observed, and in future commissions must be paid only on property of which nothing had been known to the officials, and the informer must not be an official whose knowledge had been acquired in the discharge of his duties. Moreover, the compensation was strictly limited to 20% of the amount realized through the information furnished. This is the latest allusion that I have met with to this phase of the business. It evidently diminished with the falling off in the confiscations, though doubtless special transactions continued to occur, for it was inevitable that the victims should exhaust their ingenuity in the effort to save for their children some fragments of their possessions. Cruel as was confiscation in principle, its enforcement by the older papal inquisition was iniquitous to a degree which multiplied to the utmost its cruelty and power of evil the forfeiture of property from the time when the first act of heresy had been committed was construed to invalidate all subsequent acts of the heretic for he had lost his dominion over all his possessions all alienations thus were void all debts contracted and all obligations given were invalid 
and the prescription of time against the church had to be at least forty years possession by undoubted catholics ignorant of the former owner's heresy prosecutions of the dead moreover for which there was no limit carried back to previous generations the claim of the inquisition to upset titles thus in practice when a man was adjudged a heretic all debts due to him were rigorously collected while all due by him were cancelled and all real estate that he had sold was reclaimed the only mitigation of this was a declaration by innocent the fourth in twelve forty seven giving to a catholic wife under certain conditions a life interest in her dowry expiring at her death for her children were incapable of inheritance it is pleasant to be able to say that in time some of the worst features of this all-grasping rapacity were softened in the spanish inquisition its early operations were so extensive and the commerce of the land was so largely in the hands of the new christians that we can readily imagine the general consternation aroused by the strict enforcement of the canon laws which vitiated all alienations and stripped all creditors of their claims it could lead only to widespread ruin and general paralysis of trade and there doubtless arose a cry for relief which the sovereigns could not disregard with a wise liberality therefore they consented to a partial abandonment of their claims which is set forth in the instructions of fourteen eighty four in a manner showing how fully they knew what were their rights the clause recites that they could recover all alienations and refuse to pay all debts unless the proceeds could be identified among the effects of the confiscated estate whether of those condemned or of those reconciled outside of the term of grace but out of clemency and to avoid oppression of vassals who had dealt with heretics they ordered that all sales donations exchanges and contracts prior to the year fourteen seventy nine should be valid if duly proved to be genuine attempts to take fraudulent advantage of this were declared punishable and reconciled heretics with a hundred lashes and branding in the face with a hot iron in christians with confiscation deprivation of office and penalties at the royal discretion while there was substantial relief in this abandonment of the right to upset all transactions prior to the introduction of the inquisition yet it was retained with regard to all subsequent dealings and no man could know whether the banker or merchant or tradesman with whom he dealt might not soon fall into the hands of the holy office it thus can readily be conceived how fatally credit was affected and what risks were encountered in the daily transactions of business that there was difficulty in making the tribunals respect even this concession is visible in its promulgation anew by the suprema in fourteen ninety one and again in fifteen o two cases in fact occur which show that the officials paid slender attention to it thus in fourteen ninety nine costanza ramirez appealed to ferdinand for property comprised in the dowry given to her mother in fourteen seventy five by her grandfather juan lopez beltran whose estate had been recently declared confiscated and the king ordered its restoration if the statement was true so in fifteen o nine the widow and wards of johan perez de oliva petitioned him for the release of certain houses which oliva had bought in fourteen seventy four and which were now claimed as having been purchased from a condemned heretic here was a perfectly legitimate transaction thirty-five years old which the inquisition was endeavoring to set aside in the instructions of fourteen eighty four prosecutions against the dead including confiscation were ordered even if they had died forty or fifty years before 
as it stands in the printed collections this virtually postponed indefinitely the prescription against the inquisition as the transactions of the deceased might have extended anteriorly through forty or fifty years and in fact it was quoted about sixteen forty as a proof that there was no prescription this however was a later additional severity for in a manuscript copy of the instructions of fourteen eighty four there is a clause omitted by the official compilers to the effect that if the heretic had died more than fifty years before the accusation was brought and if the heirs or owners of the property had been good catholics and had held it in good faith they were not to be disturbed there is significance in the suppression and under such a system it is conceivable what a cloud hung over the titles of all property that had ever passed through the hands of a new christian and how poignant was the feeling of insecurity of its possessors end of book five chapter one part one recording by guido